this is the Blue Ribbon event, the women's eight. Americans just push again and they are going to take this by the best part of three quarters of a length and the USA come home to take the women's eights. The gold medal goes to America from Germany. But it's the United States of America. They won it last year and they've retained the title. The Americans move again now and they're holding the Romanians. This is going to be pretty close now. United States, they are the world champions. They're still the world champions. You see the effort on Caroline Lynn's face in the seventh seat of the U.S. crew and they look like they are really starting to hit their stride now. Canada's coming back. Canada's up the rate another notch. It's still the United States in the lead by just over a canvas, but now they've regained speed. They've upped their rate themselves, and the United States look like gonna win another title. They own the class. They win a back-to-back -back title into the women's eight. They're just coming into the Red Boys now. 250 metres remains of the final of the women's eight. And leading the way, the absolute class act on your screen now, United States of America. They've got clear water over Romania. I didn't see that coming, but Romania are also three quarters of a length up on Canada. And of course, the US set that world's best time of 554.16 at Lucerne. And there we go, a mark again, a clear water victory in the World Championships. Look at that, crossing the line there for the gold medal. 2013 world champions in the women's eight, United States of America. There to win the gold, the gold scores the United States. It is Canada hanging on for their silver. Well, delight there for the American team. Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa, it brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion, winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. It's a role in South Africa. Passion, fiction, ultimate goal. Glory, relentless training, pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another epic episode of The Row Show, your favorite rowing podcast. It's myself, Lawrence Britton, and uh, with me as always is Mr. Green. How are you doing, Jake? What's up, guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good and I'm just uh, really excited that we finally have got this episode out to you guys. It's been sitting in our bank for a while and today we are speaking to Carolyn Lynn from the USA um, Estelle Watt from the, the USA Women's Eight racing uh, the 2008 Olympic campaign and, and uh, largely through the London Olympic campaign. Eh, Lawrence, big results. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the most impressive athletes that we've we've had on the show, and I mean, we've had some really, really big names on the show, and it's just incredible looking at her career. So she had a 10-year career. Well, she started rowing in 2000, but she got into the the senior women's team in 2005. And rode uh, till the end of 2014 when unfortunately a back injury took her out of, of the running for the Rio Games. But in those 10 years, she managed to rake in six world championship gold medals and two Olympic gold medals, which is unbelievable and really, really impressive. It's just looking at the results makes me amazed at what someone can do and how impressive the women's, the USA Women's Eight was between those years it's really really impressive i mean the usa women's team had an 11 year winning streak 
And Caroline was part of eight of those, of nine of those years, Jake. Yeah, and you forgot to mention that she was also in the crew that set the world's best time in 2013. So Caroline was a real backbone in that eight from the beginnings of its, its winning streak right through all the way to the end. And I think she's definitely part of that legacy. And, um, you know, it, it's amazing because not only was she so strong in the eight, but she could have also constantly good performances in the pair. I think a, a moment that's, that stuck out for me from talking to her and also from watching her racing videos was in 2014 at the second World Cup in Aigvillette. Uh, you will see five USA women's pairs racing in the A final. Um, and then podium besides Helen and uh, Helen Glover and uh, Heather Stanning taking home gold, silver and bronze were both USA boats with Carolyn picking up the bronze medal. So a phenomenal athlete in the eight in the pair and you know, who, who re- how many athletes do we have that can say they've got a double Olympic gold? That's something that very few people can pull off. And I think what's, what's so interesting as well and what we really get into in the chat is like, you know, it's not necessarily the USA women's team is not necessarily about specific athletes. So here's someone who's got some of the best results in the world and yet not everyone is going to know her name straight off the bat. But, you know, just having people in the system and going into and listening to her talk about how the system runs and how competitive it is and all their training and their, how they approach racing was just so unbelievable. I really was blown away and it is so impressive. Um, but I think we have really given away far too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can probably just start reciting off the interview and, you know, what I really enjoyed. But I promise you guys this, this interview, this is a... Is a, is a old standard athletes, a premier performance artist and, you know, really pulled off amazing things in her career. So take it all in and I really hope you enjoy the episode as much as we did. That's for sure. And uh, just remember, share the show, tell your mates about us, go give us a, a, a rating on, on iTunes. All of these things are really going to help uh, keep the podcast going, keep us up in the in the charts and, and just uh, really allow us to, to continue producing Uh, good episodes for you guys so yeah thanks for listening and enjoy this epic chat with caroline lind what's up everyone out there and uh, our listeners uh today we have a really awesome episode for you we are speaking to caroline lind from the usa who rode on the american women's team in the eight for a number of years uh very successful caroline how are you doing i'm good thanks so much for having me on i appreciate it Awesome stuff. Um, so I, I want to start this uh, interview off and I kind of want to get into, um, you know, I kind of want to get into the eight rowing, but take it back to your days at racing at Princeton, because I mean, we, we, we do get a sense that the, the collegiate racing scene in the USA is, is, is really, it's really big and it's super prestigious and competitive. And I just wanted to, um, get your take on, on what was it like racing for Princeton, um, at college and how, does, did that prepare you for moving into the, the USA Women's Eight later? Yeah, so I mean, I had a great experience at Princeton. Um, you know, I was recruited out of high school, so I had a lot of options when I was going to row collegiately. Um, but ultimately, I made my decision based on a multitude of factors, but the main factor being the coach. And the coach at Princeton for me, was the best. Um, she, Lori Daphne, she 
was the best in my opinion. And she proved herself to be the best during my time with her at Princeton. Um, and I always credit her with making me into the rower that I am today or that I was when I was on the national team, because those years are really formative for rowers. Um, you know, in high school, you're just kind of, if you row in high school at all, right. Not everyone does, but if you do, it's, you know, usually not that long and you don't practice as much. So it's the collegiate years that really help you become the rower you're going to be if you're going to go on to the national team, et cetera. So um, I really credit Lori and my time at Princeton for getting me ready for the races um, that I had on the national team. And like you said, yeah, the collegiate system for women in the U.S. is super strong um, because we have because of the NCAA there's a lot of support for women's rowing and the teams are incredibly talented and even more so than when I was rowing. Right. Um, sometimes I, I think, you know, I was lucky to come along at the time I did because now there's so much more talent out there and the teams are much, much stronger and faster. Um, but I'm so grateful for my time and to have that experience. I think the experience in college is a lot different than the experience on the national team because you're able to really form a, a, a pretty, a pretty special bond with your boatmates and you're not, I mean, you're competing right to get into the first boat, but you're not as competitive as you would be on the national team or that you, the national team women are to get those spots. So it's a really awesome experience and it's a really great way to, um, get ready for the next level for me if you're going to you know yeah. continue on and i think it's it's and it definitely seems a little bit like the the college level especially in america is is a bit like bigger and people take it a lot more seriously because most people we chat to like it's juniors and then it's like this general progression of go to juniors uh, then start into your under 23 years and progress to the senior national team of, of whatever country you, you're competing in. Uh, whereas you race for juniors, uh, you got a fourth place in, in 2000, and then it looks like you just completely focused on the, on the collegiate uh, rowing and then only came back onto the international rowing scene in, in 2005. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's accurate. Um, and the coaches, even the national team coaches in the U.S., really rely on the collegiate system. So there is a huge emphasis on rowers, even if they do the junior team to be focused on their collegiate experience and to get the most out of that. Um, what you may not see on paper is that I was in fact training with the national team for all those years from the junior team to the senior team. So um, it's a pretty interesting story. I, I made a junior team in 2000 and then in 2001, um, I was the summer after that year at, in high school, I, uh, I went to like a senior development camp that wasn't really working out so well. I, I had a different perception of what it was going to be and it wasn't as competitive as I thought it was, or it wasn't as challenging as I thought it was going to be. And so I emailed the college coaches that were recruiting me and I said, Hey, like, I'm not going to be at these regattas because I wasn't going to stay there and train. And um, the UVA coach, Kevin Sauer was like, well, Hey, listen, like I, I, I hear you that you're having a bad, a bad time at that camp. 
um, let's see, l- let me, let me see what I can do. Or I don't know if he said that, but he, you know, basically he called Tom, the national team coach and said, Hey, there's this girl, like she has some talent and she was at this senior camp that isn't working out. Maybe you should try her. And so that was my first um, sort of entry into the national team. And so I got a call from, I think maybe Tom called me and I came down to Princeton for like a week, a trial week. And he was like, okay, well, you, you, you row well enough. Um, You can stay. Cause it was, you know, like not a given, nothing was a given that year. And so he let me stay and train and I didn't make a boat, but I got to row in like club nationals. And then from then on, um, I kept, you know, kept submitting scores and kept coming back in the summers. So I was training with the national, I always like to tell people this, like, yes, I started early and I did have sort of a lot of natural talent, but it also took me many years to actually make the team, you know, cause I was trying out for, at that time they had a four that went to under 23, I think. Um, but it wasn't really the under 23 system in the U S at that time in the early two thousands, wasn't as, um, established as it is now. So there was like one boat that maybe went sometimes. Um, and you know, I would try out for that boat, I think in 2002 and I didn't make it, you know, I seat raced and I lost. Um, and 2003, you know, I didn't make a boat in 2004. I was invited to train with the team in the summer when they were training in Varese, Italy for the Olympics, um, you know, to quote unquote, try out. I don't think I really had a shot, but I was, you know, sort of a a way to get me experience. So I was with them in Varese. And then um, when they went to Lucerne, I was like in a single, which was horrifying because I was very novice in the single at that point I would go out for a few rows in the single and I was on the erg like in the erg bay in Lucerne like doing like three by ten minutes um and then finally in 2005 I actually made the team so um yeah I just always like to remind people of that because sometimes when I talk to other rowers are like oh you were always on the team you always made it it was always so easy but it really wasn't that easy like there were a lot of years where um i was you know cut and didn't make it and doing really terrible erg workouts and really terrible dark places you know <laughs> like so yeah that's i think that's it's really awesome to hear i think especially for listeners out there I think you, you get a sense of, especially when you look at, you know, successful individuals that have gone to the Olympics and won gold, a lot of the cases sometimes it does seem like there's there's this kind of golden pathway to success that they've landed themselves on. And it's I think it's really important what you're talking about to give you to give everyone out there a sense of like what goes into getting putting yourself in, in successful boats like the USA Women's Eight. And I think what's also important to remember is even, um, you know, in 2004, the USA Women's Age went and won a silver medal at the Olympics. So it must have been from your side really cool to be training with, uh, with a successful group of, of, um, of women. And then going forward into the 2008 Olympiad, it must have been the sense of almost like passing on the torch to because it seemed like there was a new group of people that um, went into the next Olympiad. And that must have been a, a cool experience. Yeah, it was. It was really incredible. Like I can distinctly remember in 2004, you know, I had a seat race. I had, I seat raced um, Anna Michelson and Kate Johnson for 
you know, a seat on the port side, right? Um, and I didn't win either of those seat races, but I can remember going on a cool down run with Kate Johnson after afterwards and just chatting with her about all of it, you know, and about how like it was really cool for me to be there and to be experiencing this with them and to in some small way know that I had some part of um what 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 they were creating, you know, the 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 boat dynamic that they were creating, you know. Um and it does it did feel cool that I was able to carry on sort of that sisterhood and that you know, um, talent, um, and, and help carry that on to the next Olympics. It was really cool. Um, and all, and she, and she was just like, you know, on that cool down run, she was amazing. She just gave me great advice. Um, and you know, she's still a friend and a mentor to this day. So it, it is, I mean, that's one of the great things about rowing, right? Like you guys, you guys know it's, you create these bonds, um, whether you love a person or just respect the person, um, you really, if you need advice or something, rowers are always there for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you, you touched on something that I think at least from the outside, like is very clear for, for like, so uh, when I look at like, when you, when you think of really successful crews, uh, you often think of like specific athletes that have made those crews um, successful. Whereas when it comes to the, the US women's team, it always seems like it's the whole team that is uh, behind all the results because the crews keep changing and often like even regatta to regatta there's very little like continuity of like the positions in the boat and the the the, the total team so it always feels like there's like this big uh like group of people making the the, the boat fast and that the the result is more than uh, just the the nine people that you're seeing on the on the day it's 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 the whole team that's uh, like kind of celebrating the result at the end of the day and yeah, like so. Just talk us through a little bit about like what that culture was like, uh, like starting in uh, from that uh, 2008 Olympian Olympiad. Yeah, that's a great question and um, or a great you know comment. I definitely agree. I think we always, as a team, were so appreciative of everyone. You know, when we were on that medal stand, we were thinking about the spares. You know, and the fact that they didn't make the boat, but they totally could have, and they totally could have been on that, on that medal stand with us and they should have been getting a gold medal as well. Um, and to your point about sort of the larger team dynamic, I think that's what made us really special. So I think you can have great athletes, you can have talented athletes, you can have athletes that could win a gold medal, but if they don't have the right mindset, and they are not willing to support each other in a certain way and, and actively work to build that team dynamic, then it won't happen. You know, it's not something that happens by itself or overnight or in a vacuum. Um, and it's also not something that we were actively thinking of when we were creating that. It's just something that I think happens when you have the right people with the right attitude um, and a like-minded mindset. You know, there was a ton of competition. Don't get me wrong. We would race our guts out in practice and 
sometimes we would get pissed at each other and sometimes you'd like want to punch someone but you know at the end of the day we worked to create that you know that bond that we knew that everyone was going to be be there on the race be there mentally and physically um they were going to show up and we trusted that and i think that I think that's what really makes gold medal crews and not just, you know, any crew, you know, it, it, it takes something different besides it takes something more than just raw talent. You know, you have to be, you have to be able to kind of create a unit and it's unlike any other sport because there are all those people that you're relying on. You can't have just one person get you down to the finish line. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great to have a good team dynamic in basketball, but at the end of the day, you could have one person just, you know, sinking threes, and you guys are going to win. You know, it's like if if someone sinks twenty threes, like you're probably going to win that win that basketball game. Um, but in rowing, it's not like that, and so I think it's the ability of the rowers to foster that, that team, that, that really good team dynamic and cohesive feeling is that that's what makes championship crews. Yeah, hundred percent. And I also think, you know, rowing as a sport, you don't often find, uh, there are not many team sports out there that are like set in, in, in this endurance training modality. And I think it's it, in part that has a huge factor into the, the culture and the dynamics that you find in a rowing team. And even Lawrence and, and I, like, you know, we have, you know, really good friends and we've got a lot of respect for each other, but, you know, there are a lot of times on the water where we just want to, you know, get at each other's throats. And I think it's, it comes down to maybe having respect because you know what the other person is pushing, pushing themselves to do. And you know, the, the, the time and the effort that goes into it. So they, I think that underlying core of respect for each person and team just makes the relationships and, and, the, and the team building and the camaraderie that you can build so much more sincere and so much more visceral. And I think, um, you know, I the totally conflict agree. that you have to I, deal with. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like in other sports, like someone might not be able to, someone might not be giving out the same effort, but be able to do the thing that you're trying to do. But like to do a 6K, it takes just a certain amount of effort right like you can't you yeah. can't like hide it you can't hide it like <laughs> like uh, the scores on the it. erg you can't hide those scores like if you hit a certain score you're like well that person at least gave you know such and such an effort so i think you're totally right on that like you know that people are 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 doing it <laughs> and i think even and, you know, you've, you've just spoken about the ergo. I think the ergo as a basically standard cross-training tool in rowing has a, a tendency to keep athletes horrifically honest with their performances and, you know, yes. what they're able to do. Definitely. Yes. So uh, we've, we're talking a bit about conflict, and I'm interested to hear your take on, on dealing with conflict in, in highly competitive situations and, you know, dealing with it when there's, there's so much on the line and, and in, in, in a situation where you need to be able to um, be on the same page moving forward, what, what was it like uh, dealing with that in, in, in the USA Women's Eight? Yeah, we, um, that's a great question. It's 
sometimes hard for me to to think about those times because you know you push those times out of your mind or they're not as salient or really we didn't have a ton of conflict um but there are times when you're in the boat and you're you're pissed at someone and a lot of times i think about like in the small boat because in the big boat the coxswain's dealing with us and we're really so focused on what we're doing but in a, when you're in a small boat because that's what we did we would train in pairs and singles and then go into the big boat so i would be in you know pairs with my teammates that would ultimately be in the eight with me and um yet it's really easy to 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 pinpoint the conflict when you're in a small boat and so i think like for me the biggest what i would do is i would acknowledge it you know whether it was someone you could tell in someone's tone of voice that they were getting frustrated um whether you were like seeing a different a difference in their output or their performance um i always kind of got really which is surprising i always got really calm which is surprising for me because i'm not always the calmest person but when i was in a boat with someone i had a really i think i had a really pretty good way of like just calming down and being like it's all it's all good like we're good let's 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 focus in on a couple things let's you know um what can we do to make this better i'm here for you and I don't know if that's just because that's my nature, but in the boat, but because sometimes in real life I get kind of crazy and hot headed. Um, but in the boat, it was always like I was in this state where I could just kind of help, uh, help guide us to get on the same path again or get to that, the end of the race or whatever. Um, so that's what I would do when things kind of got out of control when I was in the boat with somebody. But, um, Otherwise, like when you're racing against someone, there were times where things would be said or, you know, someone would say something like, and, and at the end of a race or whatever, you just, I just was always like, I'm leaving it on the water. Like I just had to. And I think that's something that my college coach recognized in me and actually verbalized to me at some point was that you, you know, you always had a great attitude off the water and didn't let the races get you down too much or that we lost or whatever, which I didn't even realize when I was racing them in college and that I didn't let it get to me. Um, and I think as the years went on, maybe I started to let things get to me a little bit more. I started, you know, because maybe the stakes were a little higher, but I really tried when there was any sort of conflict on the water I, or anything, I just tried to leave it on the water um, and, and let myself, recharge when I was on land and, and kind of calm down. And that, that helped me a lot. Just the, the mentality of leaving it on the water. Yeah. I, uh, I really like that because like, you know, rowing is already physically hard and like mentally draining and, and, you know, there's a lot of emotion that goes into the, on the water part of, of rowing. So I think it is really important to be able to get off the water and relax and like not have to have that same like high level of intensity off the water as well as on the water because otherwise yeah you just can't uh, keep it going so uh, so easily um, but I want to take it back a little bit to to the rowing so you you finally made it into the into the crew and, and into the the racing uh, international racing scene in 2005 
And then already 2006, uh, you win your first uh, world championship gold medal in the eight. And yeah, like talk us through what it was like uh, becoming world champion and, uh, and like how that set you up for the, the next year, the next two years. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, it's so interesting when I think about my races that race isn't one that really stands out in my mind. The race in, in England in 2006, um, the, the practicing stands out in my mind. Some of the training that leading up to that race stands out in my mind, but not like the finish, the finishes that I, I can really think about and, and really visualize and see in my mind's eye are the, the Olympic finals and a couple other ones. But, um, I just, I think at that point we were all just like kind of still sort of naive, I guess. I don't know. Like we hadn't won yet. So we were just kind of like there just doing the best we could. Um, And it was a really important race though. I mean, the fact that we were able to win that was really important for the the streak of wins that um, followed that. Um, I think just being able to come together as a crew and get that, that first win gave us a a certain amount of confidence and, um, gave us something to shoot for, you know, and some people think, you know, it's better to be the underdog or whatever, but we, I think for us, it was better to get those wins and to really have that confidence that we could do it. Um, that, that belief in ourselves that comes with practice and with training and with winning races. Yeah. So. And, I, and I think it's like, it's, it's really cool to, to hear talk about like how you remember the training, because that's the part that like obviously sets up the, the, the ability to be able to go in there and win a race. Um, yeah. Like I remember in England, I just remember like it was freezing and I hadn't packed enough long spandex. And I remember just like, Karen was just like giving me backsplash the whole time, you know, like, (laughs) and I would come off the water and I'd be like soaking wet, (laughs) but we hung tough. And I think it was really windy that year too. I I mean, generally it is really windy in England, but, um, yeah, I think that was kind of why it was like, it was really windy and like backsplash and oh my gosh. I just remember being like freezing the whole time, definitely a little underprepared with what I brought. Um, but we, we got it together and <laughs> we won that race. And, and I think like part of the learning is like learning how much needs to happen to become a world champion, to become the best. And then once that's happened, now you they're like the shift, the like focus can shift to the racing because now you kind of have this trust that okay we are doing enough and now how do we execute it on the on the day whereas before that you like you're just trying to find out where the line is where the where the amount of of training needed is yeah definitely i mean and maybe that's something that some people have to think about about more um for us i mean you know we didn't construct our own training plan tom did um and for better or worse it was a pretty grueling plan and um but got us to where we needed to be for sure so then like so okay so you win 2006 and the boat obviously continues to do well 2007 and you come into to um 
the Olympic Games uh, in Beijing in 2008, and now you're the favorites to win, um, but you still haven't, the USA hasn't won the, the eight for a number of years, and, and what did it feel like coming into that regatta, uh, knowing that you could become a world champion? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, it was not something we tried to focus on too much. Um, we we really just were focusing on us as a crew doing our thing. And I I did let the Olympic all of the all the stuff get to me a little bit in the heat. Like I was super nervous. It was my first Olympic race. I definitely went out a little too hard in that heat, and I and I sort of bonked in, in, in that race and we still put us, put ourselves in a position. I think we still won or whatever. We still put ourselves in a position to get to the final and not have to go through the rep. But, um, I remember having a conversation with Tom, like, like that was brutal. I definitely like, you know, they say fly and die. I was like, I definitely was like flying and dying um, what should I do? He's like, just, you know, calm down. Let's make sure you get enough food. Like try to like rein yourself in a little bit at the beginning. Cause I think I was just so nervous and so excited that first, that first race that it just, it was just like, I wasn't focused on having a race. Like I knew I could have, I wasn't focused on, on, on the race and the race plan that I'd done a million times. And so for the final, I really did a lot of visualization and I focused on, you know, with self-talk, letting myself feel that race as if it were just another race. Um, and so when I got to the starting line, I was like, this is just another race, no big deal. I was doing a lot of breathing, a lot of like, you know, just trying to stay super relaxed and, um, that helped me shift, um, shift my race mentality at the Olympics to, to be able to be an Olympic champion racer and not just like someone who let the, the nerves and the excitement get to me. Um, and, and I think you just kind of have to, you have to lie to yourself on the starting line. You have to just pretend like it's not the Olympics, that it's just either a race in practice or a world championship or world cup or one of those millions of other races that you've done. Um, and so for me, that's what I did. And it w was really helpful. I mean, not to say that the race, I didn't lay it all out on the line, but I was able to lay it all out on the line so that at 1,990 meters, that was when I was starting to die and not like, you know, 1,500 meters in. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a fine balance to like to give yourself enough of it like oh it is the Olympics, it is a big race, but also like you have done it's not a different race. It's like it's not something it's that's like correct. New. It's not a different race and you're not doing yourself you're not doing yourself any favors by by getting all hyped up and and that it's an Olympics, right? There might be some sports where that adrenaline is what you need. And yes, we need a certain amount of adrenaline, but you all, we also need to stay super calm and rowing so that we don't, you know, blow the race in the first 750 meters. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to, to put it in perspective as to what it actually is, which is just another race. I also think that, um, 
in rowing the the period before the the race begins uh, i i always find that is the, probably the worst part of rowing for me is because you get on the water you've had your team chat the coach has spoken to you you're feeling pretty confident and then you have this half an hour 40 minute window of warm-up where you the dawn of the the re- re- realization of what you're going to do to yourself comes up and it's it really is tough to deal with those nerves and i think you know just ra- racing uh, uh, from the years that definitely strikes me as one of the the harder things to get right with throwing but yeah. after finishing that olympic final i must you know the feeling of getting that olympic gold medal um it must have been an incredible uh, experience surreal mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when you can really appreciate the moment. You know, you don't want to appreciate the moment before it happens or at the beginning of the race because you're still tricking yourself at that point. Um, but crossing that finish line is absolutely unbelievable. It's incredible. Um, crossing it first and and having all those emotions and letting the realization set in that you are an Olympic champion, um, it's pretty epic. And I think that's what keeps... I think that's what kept a lot of the U.S. women coming back for more. And which was great because it helped us keep that same team continuity with a lot of those same women who were super talented and had that like mind mindset, you know, like-minded mindset. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think you really, in a, in a, in a really good way, uh, answering like what it feels like to, to cross that finish line. Um, just like looking at the results though like so you only raced the eight at the olympics that year uh, all the world cups that you guys uh, attended you raced in pairs and took us through like mm. what that was like uh like jumping i mean i know it's a theme that that comes up all the time with the the women's team of rowing in pairs early on in the season and then only getting in the eight later at at the world champs well i think that it really helps us i mean you know th- as as frustrating as small boats can be at times, they're super rewarding as well. Um, and if you can if you can master a small boat, like the eight's just like so relaxing, right? Because you have a coxswain steering, and you just all you have to do is focus on following the person in front of you. <laughs> you don't have to worry about steering or much else. Um, you don't have to cox and steer and all the things. So. Um, I just think it was, um, super helpful, you know, like you learn things about yourself in a, in a pair and that you wouldn't learn about yourself in an eight. And it also allows you to create a bond with another one of your teammates that's much deeper than something you would have just being in the eight. Um, I think when you are in a pair and you're able to figure it out and you're able to work together in a way to get that boat to go, it's pretty epic. Um, it feels really good. It, it, it almost feels like, I mean, you know, cause you have more ownership of that cause it's just the two of you. So there's a lot, it, sometimes it feels like there's a lot more satisfaction in winning a race like that or meddling a race like that because it takes, there's a lot more that goes into it. So, but I just think that, you know, we do row in eights in practice throughout the year. I mean, it's not like we don't row in eight, but I think in general, rowing yeah. an eight is much easier than rowing a small boat. So if you can find the set in a small boat, if you can figure out how to relax your body and still pull 100% in a small boat, 
if you can figure out how to build that bond with your teammate in the small boat, like the eight's going to be no problem. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we, I mean, we, we obviously haven't, we don't do as much eights racing as I'm sure USA athletes do, but you know, for me going from small boats and going to bigger boats, another aspect of the, the small boats, I think that make a big difference is that the feedback you get off the water in terms of your, your, your technique, your, the changes you're trying to make the rhythm it's it's very it's very apparent and it's it's immediate. Like if you if you're doing something weird off the finish or if you're doing something weird at the catch, you got to get immediate feedback. Whereas I often find th- sometimes if I run an eight, I often realize that that's not there. So if you can, I I feel like if you get it right in a small boat and you have the presence of mind when you move into a big boat to still think about those things, I think it must make a huge difference to your your technical ability mm-hmm. moving the bigger boats. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for verbalizing that. I think that's what I was maybe trying to say, but couldn't. But yeah, that's exactly right. Like, um, it, it gives you that boat feel. Like, you, like all those, all the every yeah. every move you make, every move you make um, does something to the boat, and it allows you to, um, it allows you to really become one with your body and like understand how your movements are impacting everyone else. <clears throat> and I think in an eight that excuse me, and an eight that can get lost. Like you can um, lose track of thinking about what you're do- how what you're doing is affecting other other people on the boat. Um, but if, you know, in that small boat, you can't lose track of it. And it helps you create that muscle memory that you're holding your chest up at the catch. So you're not throwing your weight into the, into the stern. Um, it helps you like create a muscle memory for that. So then when you get back in the eight, like, you're able to control yourself. Yeah. And then on the other side of the coin is like when uh, people are, uh, when they're spending a lot of time in pairs, then you can sometimes like develop some like intricacies of your own rowing. And then how do they try and like blend that into the whole team so that when you get back in the eight, everyone is still rowing the same? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think we still get coached every now and then when we're in the small boats um, and we get coached when, you know, to, to match up when we're in the, in the eight. But I think also, I think when you're at this level, if you're going to make the boat, you're going to be the type of athlete that is adaptable and will be able to, to blend your style. Um, I think that's what makes people able to switch makes made the people are t- my teammates able to switch from pairs to eights is that you can go into the pair you can figure out what works with your boatmate in in that pair and you come to the eight and you are able to you have enough body awareness that you're able to blend with the stroke on that day and the stroke's not always the same or we switch people up. So it's always a little different. And I think that's part of what makes a great rower too, is that body awareness and the ability, the adaptability. And I think that goes along with like when you are coached and the coach says to do something, your ability to actually do that thing, like really do that thing, not just think that you're doing that thing is what also makes a great rower. Um, I've seen athletes that are great athletes, but they don't have the ability to change what they're doing, whether it's, it's, they don't have the ability or they don't want to change what they're doing, but they don't Right? like you have to be able to, 
totally completely change your stroke if your coach is telling you to do it, whether it feels crazy or weird or not. And then like, you know, that, that ability to, that adaptability is really, I think really super important. And that's what allowed us to go from pair states effectively. Good answer. Yeah. And it's, it's actually really cool hearing that because I think what, you know, what, what that uh, reminds me of is like, there's a, all of the stuff goes into, I feel like it's that X factor that an athlete can bring to the table. And I think the, the ability to be able to, you know, take in what the coaches are telling you and internally uh, go through go through with it and actually make some sort of change because a lot of the times in rowing boats you're dealing with incredibly um, abstract concepts, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to rhythm and stuff. So I often find that that is really an important point that you know athletes need to get right if they want to make a boat move fast. Um, and then just going through into you know with the pairs, how how did selection work with pairs going to the World Cups? Did you guys get split into um, was it just based off a hierarchy or speed or was it um, based off uh, um, your positions in the eight or, or what? how did it work? Um, I think sometimes it was based off of like race results and sometimes it was based off of what the coach wanted. Um, for better or for worse, a lot of what happens at the U.S. women's team is not always dictated by pure numbers. It's, it's dictated by what Tom wants to do um he's sort of uh, masterminds whatever he thinks is going to be the best result um whether we as athletes agree with that or not that's what he does and so some for some world cups the pairs would just be picked um and i think maybe can be justified by some results in practice or whatever um but then certain world cups would be you know like if you win the national selection regatta or if you come top two in the national selection regatta, um, then you would go to the Lucerne World Cup. And this was like in the Olympic year, sort of like the 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 um, protocol for you know being the pair or whatever at the Olympics. It, that that would dictate some of who would go to race in the pairs, and some of it would be who the coach wants to get experience. Um, sometimes more pairs would go. Sometimes fewer pairs would go to certain world cups. Um, it just, it, it really varied. So, um, talking about like the pairs and the eight, um, there's something that, uh, that like the, the women's teams seem to do quite a lot is double up between the pair and the eight. Um, and I mm-hmm. mean, just looking at your results, it looks like you've done it a couple times, uh, most yeah. world cups. And what's, what is it like going into a regatta where you're racing two events and like, and like, how do you kind of mentally prepare for like that much racing and, and, and physically, how is that different to a normal race, a normal regatta? Yeah, it's definitely different physically. I mean, you have to, you have to, um, reload and recharge your body more and more specifically because you know, you're going to have to try to put, make that output happen more and more often. Um, it was always sort of, on the U.S. women's team, it was always sort of like the dream or the the goal to be the one that doubles up. Um, we had heard, you know, the Romanians did it. And when I was coming up, 
the Romanians were the team to beat. You know, they won in 2004. Yeah. And so we were always like, well, what are the Romanians doing? Like, we just want to beat the Romanians. Um, they were a great inspiration for us, basically. And so everyone was always like, oh, I want to double up. I want to do that. Um, so, but it was, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty taxing, you know, like you have to, you have to be a really smart racer and a smart athlete and a really focused athlete to be able to do it. Um, and I think a lot of the U S women are th all those things and are able to do it. I, I can remember <laughs> one year, was it, was it 20, I don't know, was it 2015 or 2014 in France? When all of us Agbelet, doubled up, 2014. Agbelet, yeah, fourteen, yeah. all of us doubled up. I so mean, four crews there. Yeah, so that that was pretty crazy. And I remember, I think our physical therapist said to me that he was on the side. He was on the side of the course with Tom, and Tom goes, "Oh, maybe, maybe a." maybe I made a mistake. Like maybe I pushed him too much. I don't know if I should have done all, you know, like something to that effect <laughs> that maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have doubled all of them. <laughs> yeah. And I think this was when in the final we were down. Right. I think this was when we were, it was the final and eight and we were in lane one or six or whatever. And we were down, you know, in fifth place. And I think it was in that moment that he said that to the physical therapist. Um, oh, we ended up, we ended up winning that race, right? Um, in the eight. So it turned out okay. But um, yeah, that was, that was crazy. And that, that was, that was really hard, I think, for all of us because we were all so tired. And I think, um, like, from the outside ahead. watching that, it's like that's when you see how competitive it is within your team. It's like you always see yeah. the eight race down the track and it's always like very clinical and like you, like, there's always, it's always a really well executed race. Whereas when you're jumping in the pairs and especially when there's like lots of the pairs from the eight and then it's like, it almost becomes like, it doesn't even matter about the other countries anymore. It's like all about beating each, each other. And it's like, it's just so crazy competitive and, uh, and yeah. brutal down the track. And I think that's where you get to see it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a lot of the reason why Tom did that for us um, was to, make sure we all stayed on our toes and we stayed super competitive and we're pushing each other. And I think that's great. I mean, I think we are meant to push each other. That's what the sport is. We're supposed to try and beat our teammates in practice. Like that's the goal Yeah. Um, to be the fastest and the strongest to, to push your teammate to be the fastest and the strongest. That should always be the goal and always be the mentality. But at the same time, being able to leave it on the water and being able to, want to beat your teammate and beat your teammate and go for it and be super tough and then still be friends with them or be a good teammate to them off the water. I mean, that's always the goal. And I think, I think our, I think sometimes our team's ability to do that over the years was taken for granted because I don't think every team is going to be like that in the future. But I think um, that's the goal to have that kind of athlete. A, a team filled with that kind of athlete yeah and it's, it's hard to find that kind of mix as well the balance between it because i think it's quite easy to go like a little too far on one side and then kind of miss the boat on the other side and yes yeah i think um it's so important to like have that like uh competitiveness and we often say in the team that like if you can make training 
harder than like the racing can be or if you can make training as hard as the racing can be then like racing doesn't have to be so like i don't know mentally scary or or challenging to to face when you know that you've already put it all out there in training yeah definitely i mean like i completely agree with that like that's what i that's that's the mantra that i held close when i was i would get nervous for races i was like gosh i've done this i have I have done this. Like I have been to the well, I have gone to the end of what my body can go to. And for me, knowing that in practice, I went there and I went as hard and as fast as I absolutely possibly could to the depths of my soul, knowing that allowed me to go to a race with a a real confidence and a real ability to um know that i i can get to that finish line no matter what um and you have to push yourself you have to push yourself every day to get there and practice because it's not an easy place to go to because it hurts and it sucks and it's terrible but um yeah i think doing that as an athlete is the best gift you can give yourself yeah a hundred percent i think it's it really does prepare you um really well for racing because i always find that when we go overseas and you know we go to world champs or we go to the world cups the i often find besides the racing itself the rest of the week and and the time you spend there is is actually um a lot a lot less stressful than training because every day of training you're killing yourself whereas you when you get to world champs it's the one time where you're not you know you want to tape a little bit so yeah. that's that i always find it's like for me i enjoy it so much and i often find that it's sometimes uh, when i'm at my most relaxed and like having the most fun is when we're actually at the event um itself yeah definitely i love the taper i just i mean i love it it's it's i get a lot of energy i uh, we're you know you're traveling you're just you're, you're living yeah. your best life because you're doing what you love to do, which is like just race. Yeah, exactly. And you don't have all this bullshit of like training and being tired and like, uh, you just like, you're just there. You're with your best friends. You're just living it. So yeah, I totally agree. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I always remember I, I get to world champs and then like a couple of days later, I'm like, Oh, is this what it feels like not to be fatigued anymore? Yeah, <laughs> does that feeling doesn't happen often in a running season? Yeah, for sure. Um, so you know, training in in all these pairs, I'm curious to to listen to like the sense of pride, and you've really said it. It gives you a lot of confidence, but I'm sure when you know as a as an eight that you guys can jump into pairs and be um, right up there with the best pairs in the world. And it must be an incredible sense of pride and confidence when you go to the world champs or you go to world champs, I mean, to the Olympics and you don't double up and you just focus on the eight. There must be a real, real sense of, you know, you, you, you can, you can really bring the race to all your competitors and execute uh, something extraordinary. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just gives you that much more confidence. Like you, you believe in yourself, you know, you know that you have you have in you what it takes and whether you're, you're going to be able to summon that up on race day is another thing but you know you have in you what it takes you know to be there right at least right there with the best in the world um and that's really cool for sure 
I think a a, a big uh, a big point of of racing in an ad must have been setting the the world's best time. And you guys have pretty much done it twice. And the second time around in 2013, you must have. I think you you got it faster by like point one of or point zero zero one of a second. Chat to us a bit about like uh, getting getting that uh, world's best time and. In a way, I'm sure it must have been something of like setting a legacy in the in the women's eight. Yeah, you know, it is. It's definitely really cool to know that we have the world record. But um, it's actually when I think about all the things that I've done rowing, it's not the thing that is like, oh my god, that's so great. Um, it. It's cool to know that we'll always be in the history books for that, to have that record for at least however long it holds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like you always race your fastest race and the conditions can be favorable or they can be unfavorable. So to me, having a world record is nice, but it's not as indicative of real boat speed as, you know winning lots and lots of races so um so like okay so but just talking about the record so we're on 2013 uh where you you set the world record but following from 20 uh 2012 you were the only one that really continued uh into the new the new olympic cycle and and into the new crew and what was it like now suddenly having a whole different crew and a whole different uh set of goals to to row with and then yet still managing to to find the same magic and the same speed yeah um it's it it was great i mean it it felt really i felt really lucky to be a part of that crew and to be with a lot of young talented women that were able to go that fast um it's just like i said like it's not always a given and i think that um it felt good in my position because I felt like I could be um, an ear for people to, or I could, I, I, I you know, I could lend um, advice to people. Um, so not lending an ear, <laughs> but lending advice to people. Um, and, you know, sort of being the seasoned one allowed me to just, you know, fill a different role that I had filled before, basically. Um, you know, before I, we were all sort of the same, um, you know, Karin had a, a more experience, of course, but, um, we, you know, built that together and now it was sort of like, um, I was like the grandma of the boat, you know? <laughs> um, but it's just cool. It's, it's just really cool that, it was cool to experience it with that group of girls because for them it was a real big highlight. And of course it was a highlight for me too, but you know, I just won an Olympic gold medal. So, um, yeah, it's. So uh, why did the, why did so many people, uh, hang up their oars after 2012 and, and was there like a lot of apprehension going into the, the new cycle, uh, not knowing necessarily how fast you guys were, or was it still quite, uh, still quite consistent behind the scenes? Um, yeah, there was some uncertainty, of course. Um, I think, I mean, I think a lot of the women had been growing for a long time and, 
to be honest, I probably should have retired at that point too. I mean, I had a lot of great races between then and when I retired due to my back injury, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think people just wanted to get on with their lives and do other things. Um, so Karen, I wanted to, to speak to you a bit about like, you know, you, you said you had your, your back injury and um, I always find that it's, 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 it's helpful when you speak to, to athletes that have, have gone through these sort of things to um, maybe for the listeners out there, talk a bit about, you know, how, how do athletes manage in injuries, especially in such a competitive environment like rowing and, and what ways can, can you really take care of yourself and make sure that you, you, you stay strong and, and try to prevent injuries because, you know, a lot of the time something does come up, but a lot of the time we can always be more, um, more prepared and, and better with uh, staying on top of things. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it's super important for um, all rowers. Uh, I started having back problems in college, just like not crazy ones, but just, just enough that it caught my attention and it started to get me thinking about physical therapy and taking care of myself and doing the stretches and the exercises and all the things to, to prolong my life as a rower. And, um, I think you have to really, you have to take ownership of your injury and you have to know that like, look, okay, I have whatever I have and there are certain things that I'm going to have to do to stay healthy. So for me, it was physical therapy. I started going to see the national team physical therapist um, in college and he really helped me through my entire career. Um, I was super lucky to have access to him and he um, kept me going pretty much um, through, through it all. Um, and what happened was I had a back end. I was a port rower for, forever and I had a back injury from you know just overuse like degenerative degenerative bulging discs or whatever and then after the 2012 Olympics Tom wanted me to switch sides which I think was fine you know in general but I think I didn't realize that my body was so wired to one side to port side that it couldn't go to the other side like it was 13 years rowing port and my body was like not flexible. I was not young enough to, to switch. Like if I had been rowing both sides the entire time, I probably would have been okay. But I switched sides and we were doing a lot of volume as we tend to do um, on the U S women's national team. And it kind of, it kind of blew out. Um, and so, and that, that happened in, I guess, 2013, like after, you know, after the Olympics early in that year. Um, and then it progressed and by 2015, I had like a full herniation. Um, I think I had, I think I had torn part of the disc, you know, switching sides because it was so wired to port side that when it was on the starboard side it was like what's going on and then um and then there was like a full herniation a really bad episode in 20 in early 2015 then i had surgery um in the middle in the uh, like around july of 2015 and i did my best to come back but it, it wasn't in the cards so um but i think 
injuries in injuries and rowing go hand in hand, especially back injuries, overuse yeah. injuries, rib injuries, back injuries. And I think the the best thing that you could do as an athlete is to a try to prevent any of those things from happening by staying stretching, doing the core, doing all those really annoying things that you don't want to do, trying to get the best form you can, like trying to recover properly, do all those things. Don't let it start. But if it does start, you have to be able to mitigate it. Um, you know, doing the foam rolling, seeing the physical therapist. I mean, I got massages all the time, you know, so I know not everyone can do that, but I was lucky that I was on funding and I was able to afford to go get massages, you know, <laughs> a lot. Um, and when I say funding, I mean funding, you know, as, as a USOC athlete, we got some, some amount of funding um, from the Uni United States Olympic Committee, not a lot, but um, some. And uh, that allowed me to get some massages and the PT through the national team and all that. And that's what sort of allowed me to, to, to keep showing up and performing because you have to remember that there's someone always waiting to take your spot, especially in rowing. Yeah. I mean, Same. they're, 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 they're waiting. They're probably somewhere deep down hoping that they get a shot, hoping that someone gets hurt. I mean, as terrible as that sounds, um, but yeah. it might be the only way someone gets a, a chance to even go to the Olympics. Right. So, um, it's, it's tough because I mean, that's, that's part of the sport. You just have to acknowledge it. Um, and so you just don't want that to happen to you. So you got to do all the things and it takes a lot of time and effort, but that's part of being a complete holistic athlete and being able to maintain yourself to keep going. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like, um, oh, it's, this sport is so brutal, and like, you think you 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 have everything, all your ducks lined in a row, and and then uh, something else can uh, come along and and take it away from you so quickly. And I mean, I also mm -hmm. uh, struggle with the back stuff, and for me, like, my biggest weakness is like when things are going well, not doing all the little things. Like, it's easy to do the things when you when the right. back is a little. Iffy and like there's a little bit on edge, and then you're ready to to do all these things. But when you're going well and you think you're like flipping Superman and invincible, uh, that's when it's like so important to to keep doing all of those things uh, because it changes so quickly. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. But so now we've covered the whole insane, amazing career, um, and I mean, you started off saying that you you didn't really think about. Um, uh, your first uh, your first win in, in 2006 that much and you, you ended saying you didn't think about the, the world record that much so when you look back at your career like what are the, the big highlights and the, and the big uh, moments that uh, that you really jump to your mind like always there are some specific um, pairs races that come to my mind some pairs races that I had in Lucerne with L Logan um there was one where I was steering and um, so I was sitting a stroke seat and I just remember it was like raining and it was a little bit windy, which is n unique for Lucerne because usually it's pretty serene, beautiful there. Um, and I just remember like the focus that we had in that race and we did really well and just the focus and what it took for, for me to 
um, steer and row and, and, and focus in all at the same time. I think it's those races where I think it's the races where you, I think for me, it was the races where I had, I learned something about myself. I had a really, um, unique experience in that race. Um, or it was a super momentous race. Like those are the times when I realized it, or I remember those races vividly. So the Olympic races, of course, because it's the Olympics. Um, and then the Paris races that, that race in Lucerne with L um, there was a race in um, Austria with Susan Francia. I forget what year it was, but early on, maybe 2007 um, where just that whole regatta with her and, and, I remember so vividly so many things about that and how we ended up in that final race where we kind of came from behind. It did, and we got third. Um, I remember the race in Ag Um So I think, you know, a lot of the races blend together because if you're up, you know, and you're doing well, you just, there are a lot of them. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think <laughs> the eight races that I remember the most are the Olympic races and the, Otherwise, I think a lot of the pair races, I think, are some of the ones I remember most vividly. Um, And I think it's because it takes more. It sort of takes more. It takes more focus. They're they're often not as cut and dry as the eight races. The eights usually would get up and we would stay up and then we would win. And in in the pair, it was not always, not not often like that, actually, you know there's more jockeying for position. And, and, um, so there, there's the races. I remember with Susan uh, pairs races with L with Taylor itself. When we were in, um, where were we? Slovenia. I think we were, no, it was, uh, other, some other place, but I can't (laughs) remember where, but I remember the course for some reason, the place is escaping me. Um, so, but yeah, so it's those races where that I remember the most. So uh, I think the last thing that like from uh, from your racing that I, I wanted to to get into is like the eight. You you just touched on it how like the eight was often cut and dry. Like the race, there was no like standout part of your race plan where like this is where you, you guys always took the lead. Your guys were just generally faster from the start to the finish and just mm-hmm. gradually taking uh, the lead away from uh, or the, the win away from everyone else and, and just you know shutting it down over the entire race so like what is it like to then especially after you guys have been winning for so many years to like how confident were you on the start line always lining up and, and how did the race unfold and like maybe which part of the race was like the most difficult for you was it at the end when you like you up and you moving away and, and now you just have to get to the end of the race or was it at the beginning when you weren't sure yet if you were going to win um, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think, so I think in, when I think about the Olympic races and I think that about how we were up for most of them, um, the hardest part of those races were not surprisingly, um, the sort of like the third 500 and it's just, I think purely physiologically, right? Like, um, and it's that point where it, it's at that point where you think, okay, I'm, I'm really, really friggin' tired and we're up, but anything could happen. 
and we don't have to stay up, <laughs> you know, like there's enough time for someone else to be up. Um, I think th- that that's like the hardest part. And I distinctly remember in 2012, from, I was like, we were coming into 7.50 to go. And I thought to myself, okay, if I can put my blade in a little faster and get a little better connection from 7.50 to 2.50 and have the best, like, 500 meters from the 7.50 to the 2.50 to go of my life, then there's nothing that will stop us in the last 250 meters. Like, I could be, like, totally gassed, which I was. If you look at that race, I was pretty gassed and not really able to come up to full slide. Um, I was like, as long as we can get to 250 to go... This, this boat will not let anyone else win, right? So my, so in that race, I was like completely committed to that 500 meters in the race. I mean, I was committed to the whole thing, but I was like, I want this. It was like a, it was like a goal for myself, an internal goal that I never verbalized to anyone or it just, it was something that I had visualized and that I wanted to do. And so I was, I was like, let me be part of what leads us to that point, that point where no one else can beat us. Right. Um, and I think, I don't know if anyone else does things like that in their races, but I was like, what can I give here to make sure that we win? And so I remember in that race, like just trying to put my blade in as fast as possible and, and being as efficient and effective as possible. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were able to get to that 250 ahead. And then I knew nothing would stop us. Oh, cool! Yeah, that, yeah, that's it's it's really awesome to hear, and, and especially especially when you think about how you know how dominant you guys were, and just the the kind of feelings and emotions that go into performances like that. Um, so, Carolyn, this takes us to the end of our interview, which uh, we have a set of questions that we uh, ask all the guests that come on the show. They are quick fire questions, mm-hmm. um. And the first one out of the set is, if you could race any boat class at the Olympic Games, what would it be? The pair, because I've never done that before. Yeah, yeah I, I, can, I can imagine it, it must be something that uh, a lot of the USA athletes have, have thought about. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So this next one uh, is is going to be quite an interesting one. So if you can choose any three people from any time, anywhere in the world uh, to race in a race or row in a in a in a four uh, with, who would your three crewmates be? Oh wow! <laughs> and someone um, that's had like so many crewmates, this is going to be uh, an interesting uh, conversation. So these would be teammates that I actually had. No, you can literally choose anyone that like that doesn't even have to be a rower. You can interpret it however which way you want. Ah, uh, well, definitely L. Logan, because I never want to be in a boat without her. She's, I think, one of the best athletes in the whole entire world. Um, oh wow. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe El Mahe and Redgrave will have like two dudes and two chicks. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Quite cool. <laughs> yeah. So the, the next, the next question is what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? It doesn't have to be one of your own. It can be any, any race. 
Well, I'm going to be really honest here and say that I don't watch a lot of rowing races. <laughs> I know some people, this is probably, people are probably going to be like, what? But like a, a lot of rowers like nerd out and just watch rowing a lot. Um, I don't. So I would say probably none. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, Next. they are actually, I have spoken to a couple of people that, that are, are similar to, uh, like that in, in, in that regard. I think before I started doing the podcast, I didn't watch any rowing racing. And yeah. now obviously since I've been doing the podcast, I've been watching a lot of yeah. rowing races. Mm -hmm. Jake, me and you are now those rowing nerds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> So, so there isn't like a race, like or a, a, something that you used to watch that, like, that, like when you think of rowing, maybe not like your rowing, just another eights race, or yeah, I think the Romanians, maybe. I mean, we would watch races that were shown to us yeah. by the coaches, um, but you know, they were always um, the ones to beat. So I think I guess a, a Romanian okay. race would be so. Would be it. The next one, it's maybe because uh, um, you haven't been uh, involved in rowing lately, so it wouldn't, um, but maybe just from your experience in rowing, if you were in charge at World Rowing, what would you change? Why? Hmm. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I guess there was, there's not, I mean, this is a stupid answer, but there's nothing really I would change. <laughs> As an athlete, I think, you know, the regattas were, the regattas, you know, porta potties and porta potties and tents, you know, <laughs> you can't really change yeah. that. Maybe have real, the, real toilets. <laughs> yeah, the highlights of the regattas. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this one is uh, is a one is one that all rowers and athletes want to know is what is your two k pb on the ergo? Ah, yeah, um, six thirty eight point one. Yeah, that's, uh, that's that's pretty quick. I'm I'm sure that all the the ergo uh, in in the states and all that collegiate drawing definitely definitely helps going into pulling an ergo that quick. So I, it's interesting because I used to think it was pretty quick, and lately um, I think the women's team is being so so fast that that's not actually that quick anymore. <laughs> but I still like to think it's pretty good. No, I think. Uh, uh, a six thirty eight is a is a pretty is a pretty quick time. Yeah, I think out of all the the interviews we've done, that's uh that's super competitive. I think um, maybe like yes. maybe Kim uh, Brennan would be would would be able to take you take you on, but I think most of the, the yeah. articles we've had, they'd be suffering to to keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the last one is if you could if you had to choose a different sport. Uh, to go to the Olympics in uh, what would it be and why? Mm. I think I would probably choose something like um, like ski jumping or, <laughs> or something like that, something in the Winter Olympics. Um, it always seems, I think because... It, it's it'd be something really different from what what I'm doing now, and um, it seems like something that would be really fun. Yeah, people always forget about the the Winter Olympics. We haven't had many. I think uh, the only other uh, person that chose the, the Winter Olympics was uh, Chetel Borsch from uh, Norway. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, really. Well, I, I definitely wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't want to do something like cross country skiing in the Winter yeah. Olympics. I would definitely want to do something like 
the opposite uh, of the endurance <laughs> of rowing, right? So they like ski jumping or, you know, like, like something fun like that. Yeah. Ice skating. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which person would want to change into another endurance sport. I think Lawrence yeah. Lawrence is crazy. You want to do track cycling, but yeah, I would not do that. Well, it's only really because I feel like I, that's the only other sport I would be like okay at. Like my <laughs> anything else that's not an endurance sport. Like I don't think I have the the hand eye coordination or the uh, the skill level to <laughs> compete. But yes, if I had to choose like anything, then. Yeah, maybe something that wouldn't uh, cause me any pain is uh, is right up there. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes you're like getting ready for like a, a 2K race or a herb trial and you're just like, why on earth am I doing this crazy, <laughs> stupid sport? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it has its well, Yeah. So thanks a lot, Carolyn. That brings us to the end of the episode uh, we really appreciate you giving us this time and we really we're really excited to to get this one out there and, and post it up on our, our podcast yeah thank you guys it's been really great talking to you no it's been a really really cool uh, journey and uh, thanks so much for for giving us a huge chunk of your time sorry uh, mm-hmm. that we uh it took so long but no worries no worries yeah that's how we get the the good stuff Cool, and that's a wrap of our Caroline Lind episode. I'm sure you guys were riveted and well uh, invested into that uh, episode as it went along. I mean, that was really such a roller coaster ride. Um, Jake, any big takeaways for you? Um, you know what? I think the big takeaways is being able to stay at the top of your game and listen to someone talk about you know being successful from the beginning of your career right until the end where unfortunately she picked up that injury but you know throughout that course it wasn't you know she got to the top quickly and she stayed up there and listening to the crew dynamic and the the kind of culture that they built that kind of you know kept them at such a high standard for such a long time yeah and for me like listening to someone talk about the eight being the easier boat when you already have uh, you know like eight gold medals in world champs and olympics and she's talking about how the eight is easier, so we need to row more in pairs and smaller boats to get the skill of being able to to go and transfer speed into the eight was was really interesting for me. I really loved uh, listening to that and kind of you know we don't get a race eight that often from uh, from South Africa. You know we we're much more small boat orientated country and hearing people talk about the eight and how to approach it, how to deal with the racing and the you know the the finesse of the eight is is always something that's so interesting to me. Yeah, I think um, you know we'd love to hear from you guys what you guys thought about the you know thought about the interview. But besides that, guys, um, please support us. You can do that by uh, getting onto our Instagram page, show a like, and uh, leave a review for us on the podcast. It goes beyond uh, more than you think in in terms of helping us grow the podcast. And thanks so much for your support. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Yeah, thanks again, guys, and yeah, tell a friend and get our show few more listeners thanks very much and until next time we're out cheers and yes yeah i think um 
<laughs> the the oh, I've lost what I was gonna say. 